0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Michael Zuber, one rental at a time. Back with his newest expert, Taylor from Life Goal Investments. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me as always, Michael. So one thing I'm asking all my experts this week, so good news, you're on the list, uh, and is what books do you recommend to read? Obviously, all of my experts come with different domain expertise. You are my Wall Street guy, right? 10 years on the street. Uh, so I'm curious your, your list of books might be very different than some of my other experts. So, uh, Taylor, what do you
1: got? Yeah. So I will fire three of them at you. Okay. And one of them, one of them I will say is, is my favorite. And, and admittedly you'll get this answer from a lot of different people, this specific book, but there is absolute reason and warrant for that. Okay. So the psychology of money by Morgan Housel. Okay. The second one is good to great by Ah. Jim Collins. Okay. And the third one is Principles by Ray Dalio, who is oh. one of the, the best investors of all time. So oh. we can certainly dive in. You tell me what order you want to discuss them in, but I can give you a couple highlights of the points that I love on each one of them. Let's just go
0: backwards. So we'll start at number three, Ray Dalio's, I, was it Ray Dalio's first, first book? It was certainly the first book I read, Principles. I think Yes,
1: I think, it, I think it was. I think it is, yeah. yeah. Oh, um,
0: it in the other room. Yeah, oh, was, do
1: you have it up somewhere as well? I do. That's
0: that's a good one. It It's, um, I remember getting it. Like I remember ordering on Amazon because again, Ray Dalio is one of those, you know, like him and Warren Buffett. And uh, I bought the book and I remember getting it. I'm going, this is a little meatier than I expected.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. 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 You gotta <laughs> dig in. You get into the weeds at some point. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, yeah. I think, you know, the, 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 the kind of the boiling down of it is, is just one really key takeaway to me. So it, it all comes back to the equation of like pain and reflection equals progress. And so Ooh, yeah. what he's referring to there is the pain is we're all going to make mistakes, but yeah, the difference between, loop, yeah. 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 The difference between some people and others is the fact that you got to take a look in the mirror and say, okay, I realized I screwed that up, but why is it? And dive in and peel back that onion. And then what you get from that is the progress that he references in the book throughout that is now a key principle or tenant as to how you run your life and your business. And, um, I've seen several interviews with Ray uh, on this, and they they ask him a lot of times, you know, what is the key principle? What is the one that's been the success of your life? Mm -hmm. And he says, without skipping a beat every single time, idea meritocracy. And so that is just the fact that Ray does not make decisions in a silo. He does not say, I am the smartest person on the planet, although he is. (laughs) Yeah, he says, challenge me, Michael, tell me I am wrong. I want anybody in this building when I step up to say something to tell me I'm wrong and present me with facts. That is a a logical explanation as to why your idea is better than mine. And I have no bones, no quibs about taking your idea over mine. It's just the the tough love. If I say something and it's stupid, please Mm -hmm. step up, Michael, and tell me I'm an idiot
0: yeah absolutely i love that i love the fact that he does that again you can get to that level and, and many wall streeters at that level kind of have the ego and the uh, almost like superman nothing can touch them uh and group think takes over i mean i again i'm saying this not you kathy wood had a two-year run where people were and she's still speaking like she is you know the best thing out there where i would argue she had amazing timing she had a couple of nice wins and then You know, she took highly leveraged uh, businesses right when the fed was slashing rates and risk went to zero. So she looked great for two years in a row. And I did a video eight months ago saying it's going to end. And just last week or the week before she's the last, she's in last place. Talk about going from first to last in like a heartbeat, you know, so
1: it can happen. I'll add something onto the Kathy wood to just make it look uh, how dramatically different she is from Ray Dalio, who you know, talks about humility and things like exactly. that. Kathy yeah. Wood comes out and says, my fund is going to annualize 15%. <laughs> what? 15%. We've talked about this in the in the past, Michael, that right now Vanguard is estimating the S&P over the next 10 years is going to annualize 3.3%. Yeah. She comes out and says, I'm going to put up a five handle, four handle, whatever it is on yeah. that number. And I'm going to annualize that year on year. What? Yeah. What?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There's a, there's a lot. Yeah. Group, group think going on there, right? It's just keep, keep feeding me the same thing. Don't she's not being challenged, right? I clearly she is. uh, She's running a shop where she makes the calls and and all of that. And you get what you get, right? I mean, I've been, you were on wall street for 10 years. I've been reading about money for 30 years. And the reason I called Kathy out eight months ago is I do not remember any investor having a three year run of being the best of the best, right? It all comes back in. There is timing involved. And she just happened to take, she just had amazing timing. And now she doesn't. It's
1: really tough to have a fund. So I'm not talking about individual stock. A fund that loses, I want to say at, at, at the max drawdown, it was over 60%. I know that. It mm-hmm. might have touched 70% at the max drawdown from her peak yes. to what she just recently saw. And no, nothing's to say that we have seen the bottom in these high-flying tech stocks at this point. No, no. <laughs> so I, I would argue they're not done. <laughs> right. this, is, this is absurd. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I can't agree with you anymore when it comes to Kathy Wood.
0: <laughs> yeah. So again, principles, again, idea, meritocracy, there's an SAT word for you. Uh, Ray Dalio still believes that you can still see him. And when he has in good conversations and good questions, he's still chewing on stuff. He's, he's yeah. all about constantly learning. And he, and I did this picture. If you read the book, you know what I'm talking about. This is his, I don't, he called it something. I don't remember.
1: I, I yeah, I'm it's slipping me too. I should have it, but I don't. Yeah, it's, it's a great thing. So let's go number two. And Michael. Oh, go ahead. One other thing I'll, one other thing I'll say on, on Ray Dalio is Ray Dalio runs the largest hedge fund. I should have said that. I should have prefaced it with this. Ray Dalio runs the har- largest hedge fund in the world. Bridgewater. Right? Bridgewater. Yeah, Bridgewater. Exactly right. And so his all weather portfolio is predicated, everything we do at Life Goal Investments is predicated on his all weather portfolio, which is essentially what he does is try to build in equal amounts of three different risks yes. within the portfolio. So, equal amount of equity risk. Mm -hmm. equal amount of fixed income risk and equal amount of inflation linked risk. And then you put them all together. You create this diversified portfolio that can weather all different storms. Mm -hmm. He's he's, he admits himself. I'm not smart enough to tell you where the economy is going. Right. So I'm not playing the game that I'm going to try to overweight equity risk now versus (sighs) before he says, I'm not smart enough to do that. And that's, that's the greatness of Ray Dalio is let me build in these three things Mm -hmm. over time. Because of our consistency, we'll win, but mm-hmm. any individual year, we're not going to win. Uh, and that's okay. the whole theory behind the portfolio in general. And that's why we have admittedly themed some of that idea and implemented into Life Goal Investments. Awesome.
0: Yeah. I love that book. All right. Number two was Good to Great. Talk about that one.
1: Good to Great. So, Good to Great is awesome. This isn't necessarily an investing book, although the um, determining factor if you are a good to great company is your investment performance. So, it talks about 11 different companies Mm -hmm. that when before the greatness started, they were either at or below market performance on their stock. Mm. And then for 15 straight years, over that 15-year period of time, their stock had to do 3X the market. Mm. So that is three times multiple over 15 years. So you are looking at good companies that become absolute phenoms Mm-hmm. And their names, and these go back throughout history. So you look at them over a long period of time. Cigarette company, Philip Morris. Mm-hmm. Wells Fargo Bank, which obviously has had a fall from grace since then. Walgreens. These are all companies. But there's three. I'll use, I'll use principles because we're on that topic of Ray Dalio. There's three principles or three underlying similarities, commonalities, between all of these 11 companies. And mm-hmm. I'll talk to you about them in two seconds. So the first one is what they call the hedgehog concept. Mm. And so what the hedgehog concept goes back to grief mythology, and they talk about this hedgehog that constantly gets attacked by a fox. And the fox is sly, so it has all these different angles. It tries to come out to the hedgehog, and the hedgehog does the exact same thing every single time. Curls up in a ball with the spikes on its back and protects itself. And so what that is an analogy for is companies knowing exactly what their core competency is. Exactly what they're better at than their competition. And this is an absolute must for a company that's going to go from good to great. So, an example of this Walgreens. Walgreens knew that the core tenant of the success of their company was all predicated on convenience, mm. convenience over every other drugstore. They said Eckerd would put an Eckerd drugstore anywhere in a city. They said, nope. We need this to be walkable by 90% of the, whatever the numbers were, they Mm. were under convenience and their thought was that was the absolute differentiator of them versus everybody else. And their success was absolutely phenomenal to do that. So that's, that's kind of the first core tenet, if you will, is the hedgehog concept. Mm -hmm. The second one is what they call the bus. And so they talk about who sits on your bus. And it's interesting. They think that the most important thing is not to have one massive figurehead and everyone else beating to their drum. Kathy no. Wood. Kathy Wood. <laughs> <laughs> not Ray Dalio, right? Yeah. All these things are going to come back, you know, come yeah. back around, right? Time to so go. <laughs> um, it's, it's who's getting on the bus. Yeah. And they say this, they would hire. And then three months later, they would look back and say, would I rehire that individual yeah. now? and it was interesting just to see all the different companies and their approaches but what the core tenant or the, the the commonality between all of them was was either people were on the bus for a very long period of time or they were on the bus and right back off the bus yeah yep so it's the whole theory of hire slowly fire quickly amen And so they didn't, uh, you know, uh, the VPs or whatever you want to call the higher ups weren't always in the same positions, Mm -hmm. but the good ones, they would rotate them around and find their spot. And the bus was the most important thing.
0: Like it. Okay. The
1: hedgehog, the bus, one more. Yeah. Level five leader. And a level five leader is there's, there's five different iterations of a level five leader. I won't go into it. But at the end of the day, um, most of the leaders of these companies that took them from good to great started like on their factory floor or whatever, you know, whatever that may be a parallel to Walgreens or Philip Morris or whatever it is. But they started out, they knew every single piece of the company through and through. They'd spent mm-hmm. times in multiple different branches and they were humble. They were not one genius and everyone else beneath them doing what they said. They brought people up, they delegated and they took ideas from everyone. And again, kind of to Ray Dalio's point, idea meritocracy runs it. A lot of them would say when they were interviewed, I just got lucky that I was the person chosen to be in this spot. Hmm. Like, that's a really good, humble feeling that, that a leader could possibly resonate down to his you know, constituents. And those types of comments would be the point of, uh, of commonality. I keep saying that across all the different leaders of these 11 companies. That's awesome. All right. One more psychology of money. Uh, the psychology of money is just so good. Morgan Housel, you know, again, at the end of the day, I, I'm a big, big, big believer that personal finance comes largely down to not what you're investing in, but your actual psychology. How able are you to weather the tough times, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So he starts the book off with someone that I had never heard of. And I think 99% of people have, have never heard of, even in the financial business, a guy named Ronald Reed. Hmm. So Ronald Reed is a Vermonter, he's a World War II veteran, and he is a janitor. So what, what, why would Morgan Housel and you know, Psychology of Money, which is an investing book, start out with that? Well, this gentleman died and left $8 million to the hospital, All, none of this inherited, to the wow. hospital and the library in his Vermont town. And what it came down to was he was incredibly frugal. He didn't spend above his means and not that he's picked, you know, high-flying stocks or high-flying mutual funds or whatever it is. It was just extremely consistent. He dollar cost average. So invested XYZ money every single month and he did it and he didn't really look at it. So he studied upfront what he wanted to invest in, grew conviction in that and consistently dribbled money into this. So this is a janitor mm. living in Vermont that's able to save enough money, not inherit a single dollar. To donate eight million dollars on his death, and no one knew—no uh, uh, one knew he had a penny to his name. I need
0: to buy that book. I'm not read uh, psychology it's, of money.
1: It's awesome. So I'll give you—I'll t- give you two more, and then I'll shut up. Awesome. And I, I know we're—we're run, we're running long here. No, it's so good. The, uh, I love this. Another, so the greatest thing about Morgan Housel, too, is that every one of his, you know, if we refer back to Ray Dalio calling him principles, every one of his principles are a chapter in his book. And there's like 19 chapters, they're all short stories. So they're yeah. super entertaining, and you can oh. peel something out of every one of them. So I'll give you two more quick ones investing is not free. Yeah. So that's another one of his kind of chapters. I don't know if that's what he coins it, but essentially he says, you know, Michael, you take your wife out to dinner, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to cost a hundred bucks or whatever it is, you know, that going in that it's mm-hmm. not free. No one's giving you a value and a service for free. Mm-hmm. And he says, but people have the illusion that investing is, and he's not referencing tax that you have to pay tax at some point, which is true. Mm-hmm. But what he's referencing is, is you have to pay the emotional stress yes. that comes along with investing. I don't care how you invest. There is stress involved in investing, and there's no way you're getting around it. Mm-hmm. And so he says that is the cost of making money in the market. Nothing is free, mm-hmm. including the returns you get from investing, and the price you pay is the emotional stress. Wow. I love that. So that one's really cool. And then the last one that I'll talk about in this one is his case study on General Electric. hmm so General Electric, for 22 straight years in the United States, was a top 10 most valuable company in the nation. 13 of those years, it was either number one or number two most valuable company in the nation. Apple currently sits there, right? Mm-hmm. Or Amazon? Apple does, yeah. Apple does. So this is this is Apple looking back, you know, over a 20-year period of time, essentially. Yep. And all of the sudden, out of left field, General Electric gets a haymaker thrown its way, and in If you had invested $10,000 in 2017, by 2020, it was only worth $3,500 over that four-year period of time. In a raging bull market, you got cut by 65%. And the lesson he says is you cannot just trust that a company is a great company and therefore it's a great investment. You have to know a lot more. If you're going to buy individual stocks, you have to be reading 10K reports and things like that. And if you're not willing to do that work, stay out of that game. That game's not for you. And it's not to say you need to do that to have success investing. But he says you cannot buy a great company because it's a great company. That is not reason for investment. You need to know a lot more. Oh, that is awesome. Do me a favor. You put out a lot of great stuff on Instagram.
0: What is your Instagram handle or page?
1: Yep, at Life Goal Investments. at Life Goal Investments. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Michael.